You're listening to Dirty Feet, a podcast from No More Radio. Vous écoutez le podcast Dirty Feet sur les ondes de No More Radio. Hosted by, animé par, Alison Burns, J.D. Papillon, et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. Stay tuned. We're going to move you. The 2014 saint Amboise Montreal Fringe Festival has officially begun. The A to Z programming, the bulk of the shows, will be starting on June 13th and running all the way till the 22nd. Uh, this year we have uh, about nine dance shows and plenty of multimedia and other movement-related shows happening uh, right here in the city, mostly in the Plateau neighborhood. Uh, there's plenty of venues and artists and activities and all sorts of cool stuff. This week, as promised, we're going to be spending some time talking to a bunch of artists who are presenting works that aren't necessarily dance works, but somehow relate to kind of movement and performance. We're going to be talking to circus artists. Um, we're going to talk about physical theater with some people doing physical theater work and uh, and more. We're just going to see what the episode has in store for us. So it's going to be a series of uh, shorter interviews. And uh, I also wanted to take the time to mention that uh, some of the music you're going to hear is uh, from our very very own resident composer, Tristan Henry, who uh, we haven't given a shout out to for a while, but he joined us in studio for a conversation on composing for dance uh, quite a while ago. And uh, since I think about the 40th episode, he's been, uh, he's been creating our intros and outros and doing all the kind of any music where we don't introduce it as specifically uh, related to a work has been his music and he just sent us a whole new batch of tunes so we're looking forward to listening to that stuff and uh, integrating it into the podcasts so thanks Tristan and uh, stay tuned for next week as well because we're going to be continuing our coverage of the Fringe Festival we're going to have a round table with uh, the artists presenting work that's specifically in the dance category uh, we're pretty lucky too to have a member of our team actually very integral in the in the running of the Saint Amboise Fringe Festival, and of course I'm talking about Stephanie Morin Robert. And uh, we've we've already missed one um, Fringe Dance event. If you were uh, tuned into our Facebook page, you know that there was a Fringe Prom last Friday. How did it go, Steph? Um, it was great. It was it was Sherwin who who ran the event, and he's uh, a queer based artist here in Montreal. Um, and it, the the really lovely thing about it, it was all these classic old songs, whether it was Britney Spears or or the Backstreet Boys or or the Spice Girls. So a bunch of my personal favorites, and every song or so. Um, or maybe every third song, he would he would kind of uh, ask questions or or say like quotes, like life quotes or words of wisdom. He'd be like, "All right, class, live this moment as though it was your last," and it was just always so lovely and intense and and uh, a great turnout. So it's always a nice dance party. And how was the uh, the guest list? Were they dressed to the nines? Yeah, everyone was really, really well-dressed. And uh, it was uh, Cameron, who is uh, the associate producer of the festival. He won uh, Queer King. Is that the title? I don't remember. I think it was Prom Kink. Okay. And then and then Sarah won uh, yes. Prom Queer. Yes. Yeah. So those were prizes that were given out. <laughs> cool. All right, let's move on to the interviews.
First up, we're going to be speaking with Lar Vai from The Shadow Waltz, which is a Wolffinger production. And uh, this is a one-woman show, actually directed by Montreal Improv's own Mark Rowland. It's a multidisciplinary work uh, that promises some uh, some movement happening in there at some point. Lar, can you give us uh, an idea of the, the thematic of the show to start off with? Okay. Um, I would say the show is... Um uh, the the way the best way to describe it is a kaleidoscopic dreamscape of anxiety and ambition so each of these characters sort of have uh, desires and things they want to accomplish but a lot of fear and reluctance with that and where does the the title shadow waltz come from the shadow waltz comes from a busby berkeley choreography from the film the gold diggers of 1933 it's where um there's dancers playing violins and all of a sudden all the lights go out and you see that the violins are outlined in neon light and together they form a shape of a giant violin and it was just a really inspiring um choreography and that is just sort of like the lift off inspiration for the show um and there's a lot of play with shadows and light in the uh production as well being your work uh, that, that you call multidisciplinary how like which elements for you were essential in bringing into the work there there's improvisation of course <laughs> there's lighting but uh when it comes to movement especially what what are the influences the sources that you take from mm -hmm. the work the movement was definitely key for this production i feel like um well like the opening sequence for example is just like sort of like a free dance improvisation and um that was something partially so that partially to just set a tone of just like release and expression and then also just because i've had a lot of stage fright in the past and so just the idea of coming out and walking onto stage standing and looking out and just anything i just couldn't think of what would you ever want to say to start something like that so i thought it's better to just move and let the body speak with that so a lot of that is just like a lot of um, the characters and stuff are really defined by the body and and choosing a certain attributes to be the the um the more prominent lead and stuff like that and so i would say um Yeah, just a lot of the show has been um, inspired by inhabiting the body in these ways. And when it comes to movement, what what kind of uh, training or resources are going to come in handy for, for this? Like, is it going to be like totally free-based improvisation? Is it something that is going to be based around more like a type of technique or a type mm. of mindset or a state that you can be in? Um. Well, I I don't ha I studied dance as a kid, but just like ballet, tap, jazz kind of thing. I took tap like uh, for a couple of years, but I'm not tapping or anything like that in this show. I would say definitely a lot of it is inspired by <clears throat> like um, movement that from improv of and mime and sort of like character discovery um, and clown also. Though like um, just in terms of inspiration like I am very inspired by Buto and um and by like a uh, Isadora Duncan and like this sort of um not like innocent naive surrender but also like challenge like openness I think just like a sort of um 
just allowing things to pass through and characters to pass through. So it's kind of free in this way, um, but um, it's not, yeah, I don't have the formal training to really articulate it as best that I could, but yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Isidora Duncan and Butoh, and there's mm. quite a bit of discordance between the two. Mm -hmm. So can we expect a show where you'll be taking us to very varied places both through the body and through the emotional settings that you'll be creating yeah i mean i i wouldn't say that that the show has like mm, necessarily okay yeah definitely there's a huge range of emotions that it's exploring so there is this um like what what inspired me also with buto is like with that sort of this kind of openness of the body that there's sought there's showing aspects of the self that can be like or not even the self just showing like ugly confrontational embarrassing like more kind of raw things in, in a way that you may not want to present yourself in a in a dance performance in other contexts that it seems open to other things i don't know maybe that's something that people still like to explore in a certain way but just um uh yeah i i just thought there's definitely a range of um of emotions that that are being explored and i wouldn't say that it's specifically inspired by those those movement practices but um just kind of an openness to a kind of more raw quality in the program it's mentioned that the piece is 12 and up hmm. what reason is this for exactly huh um well <laughs> um i mean i i guess just because of the shadow waltz and the dancing and like the shadow play like it's not it's not really like a, a shadow puppet fable story. Like it's a lot to do with anxiety and mental health and depression. And so I just wanted it to be just to, I mean, it's fine if kids come, I guess, but just to sort of differentiate that this is not like a it's lot Renegar like yeah. kids show, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess the, the, you know, the classic fringe question why fringe as a platform for presenting your work mm -hmm. um well fringe i just find is just such an awesome um community and network of people like i've gone to see shows in winnipeg toronto montreal fringes and just seen things that have you know you never see them again and it's just this really exciting like coming together of people at a certain time and you see like sort of thematics that emerge each year you know it's its own kind of universe and so um for this project it's like I've been doing improv with many different groups for the past two years and I've absolutely loved collaborating with people in this way but I found a lot of inspiration through these um character and emotion explorations and I just thought it would be really cool to just um have this this chance to just really go into depth with those things and uh, fringe is um, I mean it's great because there's no real requirements or expectations necessarily that it's like there's a there's a lot of mystery there's a lot of opportunity there's a lot of freedom and when people come to a show you know you, you don't know necessarily what you're going to see and there's also not the same expectation maybe is going to a show at say like the centaur or something like that you know like there's a little bit more leeway it seems like in terms of having things be a bit more i don't know 
flawed DIY. Yeah, like in a in a process of development, and that's what I'm also interested in. Yeah. How is it working with Mark Rowland? The best. He is amazing. He's phenomenal. He has a lot of training with movement and clown and improv, obviously. And it's, pff, I've been blown away by, I mean, this show has been so, so um, affected by his, his, um, his perception of it and everything like it started off as just these long monologues and just seeing the look on his face of like no this cannot work we have to show instead of just tell you know and so then trying to go back and think of um like what the key thing is that I was trying to communicate and how can I show that in the body instead of say it you know in this long monologue but what i so appreciate is he also has like a musical a like a musical brain too of like in speaking in in movements like he can he can it's almost like a slow motion camera or something he just picks up all these moments of like you know you say this like this da 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 da, da, da but like and finds like a different rhythm and like the punctuation of the body too it's just like he's got a whole like orchestra going on or something but i really appreciate his uh his um guidance in that way yeah. and which venue will be you be performing at uh, it, we will be performing at montreal improv Yeah, venue seven. Speaking of uh, multidisciplinary, you also have uh, some music you're going to share with us. Can you give us an introduction to what that will be? Sure. Um, so the music for this production is inspired by sort of a landscape of um, like alternative goth 80s synth uh, electronic, as well as um, some uh, 30s um big band and or not big band i don't know like 30s like film soundtracks and uh it's and also i'm um, really inspired by the music of the cocteau twins so this kind of um just a, a dreamscape that's out of time um sonically i guess yeah <laughs> this sounds pretty trippy <laughs> So that's going to be The Shadow Waltz by Lar V, who we've been speaking with here from Wolffinger Productions. Uh, the show is going to be at Montreal Improv. As we mentioned, it's 45 minutes long. It's uh, English. It's 10 bucks and uh, $8 for senior students or uh, Montreal Improv students. Any last words? Uh, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I look forward to seeing all these awesome productions. Yeah. Fringe. Happy yeah. Fringe. Happy Fringe. Happy Fringe.
Okay, and right now we're receiving two members of the company The Radiant, Le Radiant, who are presenting Cirque Prom as part of the Fringe again. Uh, so with us is Olivia Weinstein and Corey Tamisik. So hi guys, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, how about you? Good, thanks. So uh, Cirque de Prom, Cirque Prom, this is, um, well, you're all finishing circus school right now, and... Uh, actually, there's uh, there's one graduate who's graduated a while ago, and then I graduated last year, and we also, but we also have people we who come from all over and everything. Okay, and it's part of it. It's based around that, like graduating circus. Is that it? Like, it's um, how what what brought you basically <laughs> to the graduating aspect of it? Well, um, the director Corinne uh, Haglin actually came with a uh came to us with this idea of just how um there's this party prom and it's just you know with our proms we were always searching for like that moment that that thing to happen that exciting moment but at Cirque prom everything is exciting and it's just you know there's so much things that happen that night and so many life growing and we're just uh having a ball performing that i think i think also it's uh like there's this big notion that prom is supposed to be like the biggest sort of as olivia said like the biggest night of your life and there's so much of, of a build-up toward it and then <laughs> along the way there's a lot of like uncomfortable things that can happen or like kind of awkward things or just like mess ups and it's like such a big drama because you've been looking so forward to it so we just kind of took that um because i think we've all lived some of those moments and then we decided to laugh at them because we're a little older now and we're like it's okay you know life's still going life's still pretty good so we can expect embarrassment and awkwardness yes. good <laughs> yes <laughs> lots of and that. a lot of fun a lot of fun uh last year we saw corinne uh bring the radiant around town to show uh Le Rendezvous Galant here at the Fringe, uh, and it was a spectacular one-woman show. And uh, and from what I understand about how circus is kind of formed, when you do a show like this, you kind of each bring your own acts and your own styles to it. So uh, what are the two of you specializing um, in? Myself, I'm specializing in clown and hula hoops, and I also have a number with a truck tire. <laughs> so that'll be fun tell us more about the truck tire <laughs> well um it's i guess you know you'll have to come see the show but uh i guess the truck tire kind of becomes my date <laughs> so and it's exactly what it sounds like <laughs> it's the truck tire that's her date <laughs> yeah so it takes to always use a rubber to a whole new level exactly. i guess exactly exactly <laughs> yeah I feel like we got a taste of that at the Fringe for All on the Second, <laughs> yeah. where you kind of uh, made friends with a hula hoop there. Uh, oh, yes, definitely. That too. <laughs> yes, well put. Um, myself, I'm, I'm a bit of a generalist, so I touch on a few different disciplines. Um, in this show particularly, though, um, I have a, an acrobatic dance, comedic dance, we could say, too. Um, and I have a contortion number uh, with balloons, in which Olivia will be my musician. So it's fun to get to play to uh, or perform to live music which is always a treat so what do you play olivia i play uh, the ukulele oh, cool. so what's fun too is like all the artists are multi multidisciplinary so we all do more than one thing um not that that's bad to do one thing but uh, we we uh, we can be seen in multiple numbers as well even if it's just for a moment to kind of have a little character moment so it's kind of like you get to kind of know us at the beginning and then every time we come back hopefully there's a bit of a connection between us and the audience hopefully <laughs> 
In the history of circus, a lot of shows were built around people bringing their acts, and the show didn't have as much of a, a continuity, I guess. And for this show, did you guys bring your acts already formed, or did you just create new acts so that it would create this narrative flow? Um, I would say a little bit of both. I mean, we already we come from a background. I mean, some of us um, have performed with uh, Circa Waz, Seven Fingers, Cirque du Soleil, and we already have kind of acts formed and then kind of adapt them to the theme of Cirque Prom, but also creating new numbers. And that's the joy of having a creation is just a you know, uh, creating to this specific show and just creating new things and working with new people. It's its really great. I think, yeah, as Olivia said, a bit of both because uh, I know when Crin approached us um, or me personally, like I remember it seemed like she had some pretty specific ideas as to what she wanted and what kind of feel she wanted. So I know like my numbers are pretty new for the show. Um, and then like we've all, as Olivia said, kind of adapted as needed to the, the this idea that Crin had in her mind, which seems pretty cool. Having worked for all these like established uh, circus companies, then coming back and doing an independent show for the Fringe Festival, what what uh, what does that do for you as an artist? I think sorry, I think it, it allows us to kind of go yeah because we get to be really creative, like in the sense that Crin's like you know Fringe is a spot where we get to test out new material and have like as much fun as possible, which is also valid because if we're really enjoying ourselves, people can tell um, and. And well, we did kind of a test run at a conference where we tried some of our, our numbers and the audience was amazing. And like, we just, we really gave it, I think. And the reception that we got from them was, was really cool. So I think in that respect, it's, it's as rewarding as doing a, a big show and we have more creative input. Um, and with the, with the other companies as well, you get creative input, but it's just so fun. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a really fun cast to work with and it's, it's going to be a good show. Did you guys attend the, uh, the Fringe Faux Prom last Friday? Oh no! There seems to be a theme in the air. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How did we from all around? There's also this this uh, all of a sudden people are making a really big deal out of prom proposals. Yeah, <laughs> about prom poses, like for photos. No or, prom proposals. Oh, like, like proposals will you prom. go to prom? Oh with yeah, photos. this they're, elaborate kind of. They're act. very big. They're very big. I've definitely seen some videos where you know the the date comes out and there's it's written in the sand or written in the pool it, they're getting pretty eccentric now so and especially you know at Cirque Prom you could ask your date too you know with those proposals because if you we encourage the audience to dress up because they get two dollars off the ticket and so it's, it's and it's more fun that way an opportunity to rewear those those items that items. you purchased yeah. for prom and will there be any audience participation in, oh. in the show? Or are you going to guys be bringing them on stage, dancing with yeah. them, doing little You'll hoop have to numbers come to see. with them? No. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, the audience, uh, it's, it's going to be fun. It's definitely with the audience. There's going to be audience participation. And the audience is a part of the show as well. Cool. And you guys have an interesting venue for it. You're actually going to be presenting at Pitsy Campus, which is uh, on Prince Arthur there, which means that there's going to be alcohol sold. Yes, yeah. that is correct. The It is a 18-plus show, um, so it'll be definitely fun at the Petite Campus. Exactly. Not like prom the first time around. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. There, you won't be having to sneak in. Right. No sour puss in the bathroom. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
do you think that this is the start of something as a as a project? Is I know a lot of people use the fringe to kind of test out mm. material, test out uh, you know co- collaborations and relationships, and and springboard off of that. Do you feel like that's the case in this production? Well, yeah, I think we certainly hope so. Um, yeah, I know. Well, as we mentioned, Crin earlier, she had her fringe show last year, and then she reworked on it. She got like some feedback, and then saw what she liked and thought worked and didn't work. And now she's back for Montreal Complément Cirque this year yeah. with a, a completed version of that show. So I think. Um, she's someone who dreams big, like she visions up there. <laughs> um, you can't see me, but I was using my hand to describe. <laughs> it was quite high. <laughs> so I think she she has a plan, but at the same time, she's open to adapting so that it can work. Um, I know it's, as Olivia said, it's a great cast. We really enjoy working together. So if there is an opportunity to, con- to continue, that would be fantastic. Can you give us a shout out of the other members in the cast? Um, yeah, we have myself, uh, Olivia Weinstein, we have Corey, and we have um, Hughes, who is a, a great guy. He's going to, you know, he's an acrobat and he's going to be performing with us as well, and as well as Corinne Haglin herself, the director, and a fantastic performer. And Hughes is Hughes Sarah Bournet. Yeah. That's his full name. You guys have a, a, some music to share with us as well today. Yes. <laughs> you want to you introduce the track? Well, yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a preview. Uh, and, you know, it brings us back to those prom nights. and uh, Classic prom. Classic prom. <laughs> oh, yes. This might also be a number in the show. Yes. <laughs> Just saying. But you'll have to come and see. <laughs> We've been speaking with uh, Olivia Weinstein and Corey Tomistic from uh, The Radiant. They're presenting Cirque Prom as part of the uh, 2014 Montreal Fringe Festival. The show is going to be happening at Pitsy Campus. That's 57 Prince Arthur East. $10 regular price or 8 if you're going to be all dressed up for prom. Yeah. Uh, when is your opening day? Um, the 16th of June. Super. What time? Um, at 6 o'clock. And then it's ending uh, June 22nd at Six o'clock again. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's the, a nice yeah. little bookend. Yeah. Yeah. And for the other show dates and times, you can check out com. We have hashtag CircProm or check us out on, on Facebook, CircProm as well. Yeah. Perfect. So. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you.
So the next show that we're going to be speaking about today is Club 25th, The Forbidden Paradise. This is a by the company I'm Still Here Ad Hoc Theatre Project. And we're going to be speaking with one of the performers. This is a, a burlesque uh, show. It's a 25-minute show at the Spanish Club. And we're speaking with uh, Maya Malata today. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you for having me. So uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about the the impulse to create this show. You're, you've been invited into this performance? Yes, I've been invited into it. And help create it um sultry margarita is the founder i guess of the show and she's been in theater for years and she loves the fringe and thought okay i'd like to have a show in the fringe and it started as a theater performance she had a partner they were building the show together and the partner had an accident and hurt her neck so she asked me I, I need to build something. I have this theater, so will you help me build a burlesque show? So we took the original idea from the theater and made it a burlesque performance. I remember getting um, that phone call from Margarita and, and saying, like, is it too late? Did you guys go to print? And, and just that night, right before we sent the whole program to print, uh, everything was changed. And um, I think everything kind of happened Last minute, yes, but at the perfect time because we were able to make those changes. Uh, as far as uh, your performance and your segment in the in this show, can you maybe tell us a little bit about the research, research and the movement that you use and and where that comes from? In burlesque, or for the yeah, actual or performance? for this show in particular. Ooh. Um, we wanted to choose something. It's a, a, a mob scene in 1925. Um, those eras are very popular in burlesque, the 20s, 30s. And we chose that, something very um, kind of raw, and we like we wanted to have a male in it. And burlesque is very sensual and can be very um, captivating between a man and a woman. So we wanted to keep the base theater, um, but we wanted something exciting and dark but interesting that's the word um so we have four burlesque performers after a guy basically who's kind of doesn't care about the other women and he's drunk all the time and life is whatever and he's a pole dancer in our show so he's doing a pole show and we're kind of coming after him and i come in and realize why are we chasing this man and it's kind of like a not a Romeo's Juliet ending, but he's poisoned throughout our show. And then in the end, we kind of have a celebration and we get together as the power of woman. So it's very burlesque kind of feel and empowering women and sensual and funny. It's also, there's funny parts in it as well. And as a, as a burlesque performer outside of this production, is this a character that you often use or is a character a character that was built for this show in particular um as a performer as an artist i go with how i'm feeling in the moment i'm very spiritual so i like to use my shows as a way to channel my feelings and what i'm going through in life so um lately i've been feeling more dark and blue i don't know why and I just felt like, oh, I'd like to, because I go in the very classic feather fans, I have a big champagne glass, or I come out very strong in my performances. And this one was like, I want to I kill the man. 
Like, I want to show that I'm strong and fierce and, like, nothing can can stop me on my trail. So I kind of brought that energy into my performance. And there will be uh, a bunch of different burlesque performers. Will you each have a solo act moment where you do uh, a burlesque act that was composed for the show specifically? Did you bring acts that were already created into the show? How was the material created exactly? They're all original pieces. And yes, each performer is going to perform individually following the storyline. And then at the end, there'll be a group number. And how much of the show is about the theater aspect? Is there a lot of dialogue? Is there a lot of speech? Or is it mostly through the body? Oh, yeah, It's all through the body. In, in burlesque, you have both. Of course, you have speech and dance. Most is dance, and we chose to stay in the movement of the body. So there's no dialogue. And this, uh, in, in your description of the show, you mentioned the Club 25th, which is also in the title. Is this something that actually existed, the Club 25th, or is it a creation for the, for the show? As far as I know, it's a creation for the show. Yeah. And the other artists that you'll be sharing the stage with, are they artists that you've, or performers that you've shared the stage with before, or that you've performed with before? Every single one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking on the list and I'm like... So the burlesque, the burlesque community is, is quite closely knit. Yeah. And I like to keep things as, um, as close as possible. I feel we should work together. So one is my student who I gave a show to. One was my dance teacher at my company, the Montreal Entertainment Company. And another one I get to host a lot of my shows and student shows. So I kind of like to keep the network tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also people that you can trust and that you know will will uh, get the job done. Yeah, exactly. And you've also set up a uh, music track for us to listen to at the end of the interview. Yeah. Can you introduce us to, to what we're going to listen to? We're going to listen to a song I stumbled across. <laughs> um, it's called Bourbon in Your Eyes by Devil Doll. Um, she's very punk, punk rock very jazz kind of feel it's very interesting and i'm using that song in our show and it's really kind of the theme song for our show um so that's what you'll be listening to fantastic to get us into the mood yeah into Super. the mood <laughs> so we've been speaking with maya Milada from club 25th uh the forbidden paradise by i'm still here ad hoc theater project we look forward to seeing the show thank you Front 
Donc avec nous en ce moment, on a Lucie Constantino qui vient nous parler de la pièce Le Monstre qui va être présentée par Théâtre Cata. Ça va être un spectacle présenté à la chapelle à partir du 13 juin à 18h. Euh, Le Monstre semble être plus une pièce de théâtre. D'après ce que je vois, vous venez pas mal tous du milieu du théâtre. Euh, Qu'est-ce que tu pourrais nous dire exactement sur la pièce au juste? Le, le texte descriptif est tout de même assez frappant. Euh, dans le fond, oui, c'est une pièce de théâtre euh, à la base. Ça s'est créé euh, à partir d'improvisation euh, des acteurs. Puis Olivier Artaud-Gauthier, le metteur en scène, en a créé un texte d'environ 70 pages. Euh, au fur et à mesure, euh, après les premières lectures, on s'est rendu compte que le texte n'était pas pertinent à tous les niveaux. Donc, on a décidé d'enlever euh, une coupe de pages et euh, d'en créer une gestuelle euh, avec ces pages-là parce qu'on pensait que c'était plus pertinent que les comédiens euh, parlent par le mouvement. Euh, par quelque chose qui vient vraiment viscéral, qui a besoin de s'exprimer plutôt que le texte, parce qu'à un moment donné, euh, le texte n'était pas assez puissant pour rendre le message. Puis euh, dans ce qu'on veut faire comme théâtre, on a besoin de gestuels, on a besoin euh, que la kinesthésie soit au centre du spectacle. Donc c'est pour ça qu'on a créé euh, des mouvements euh, de gestuels qui viennent alimenter le spectacle. Et cette gestuelle-là, vous l'avez créée comment? Ça venait vraiment d'un... D'un besoin d'exprimer le texte? Euh, oui, ou... oui, ça venait vraiment d'un besoin d'exprimer le texte, d'un besoin d'exprimer euh, l'état dans lequel on était, euh, beaucoup plus que des directives, exemple, que le metteur en scène aurait pu nous donner. Euh, nous, on est des acteurs, donc on n'a pas vraiment de technique de danse. Par contre, euh, c'est assez agréable pour nous de créer autour du mouvement parce que ça permet à notre corps de, de parler au lieu des mots parce qu'on est souvent la tête dans les mots, donc ça devient très intellectuel. Puis là, on est dans quelque chose de vraiment plus physique qui vient vraiment plus laisser parler nos émotions plutôt que le texte le fasse à notre place. Donc, ça ne s'est pas créé euh, par des chorégraphies ou par des mouvements imposés, mais vraiment euh, par l'instinct. Et au niveau du texte, euh, bon, ça commence avec « M'aurais-tu parlé si j'étais trisomique, t'aurais eu peur, infirme de bord. » C'est frappant. Ouais. Tout de même, c'est sûr que ça peut même choquer d'une certaine façon quelque ouais. chose de franc à propos d'une de, de n'importe quelle sorte de de disability. Mm -hmm. euh, la pièce, c'est à propos de quoi? Est-ce que c'est vraiment ça le thème central? Est-ce que c'est un élément de la pièce? Euh, c'est un élément, mais c'est pas mal le thème central. On est parti de notre obsession de la beauté, euh, de notre rapport euh, comme être humain à devoir être beau, euh, à devoir être beau surtout pour les autres, parce qu'on n'arrive pas à le faire pour soi-même. Euh, notre besoin de toujours être à notre meilleur, notre besoin de performer, euh, notre besoin de montrer qu'on est quelqu'un d'important. Euh, je pense qu'à partir de ça, nos impros ont donné des fois des, des choses qui étaient vraiment crues. Euh, ce texte-là, c'est parti d'improvisation. C'est sorti de nos bouches à nous, les acteurs. Fait qu'à un moment donné, on s'est rendu compte que 
c'était quand même assez intéressant de voir qu'on pouvait dire des choses comme ça. Puis c'est sûr que des fois, dans l'impulsion de l'impro, tu, tu te rends pas compte de ça. Mais quand tu es rendu euh, après une heure, tu es fatigué, tu es épuisé, ben, tu te rends compte qu'il y a des choses qui sortent malgré toi. Puis c'est là que je pense que ça devient très pertinent. C'est euh, À un moment donné, l'épuisement t'amène à dire des choses. Euh, puis c'est aussi dans l'esprit de notre spectacle. On est toujours dans un état euh, d'épuisement avancé. Donc, euh, on veut jouer là-dessus. Donc, oui, c'est en effet, ça peut être choquant, mais dans le cadre de la pièce, ça arrive un, au milieu, voire la fin, euh, dans un certain chaos. Donc, euh, ça a sa place. Puis les gens qui travaillent, qui, qui ont participé à la création, euh, à l'improvisation, à la recherche, est-ce que c'est des gens avec qui tu travailles pour la première fois? Euh, oui, c'est vraiment intéressant parce que comme moi, je suis à Montréal puis Olivier est à Québec, on a décidé de créer deux équipes de travail. Donc, on a une équipe de comédiens à Québec puis on avait une équipe de comédiens à Montréal. Euh, donc, Olivier s'est déplacé euh, entre Québec puis Montréal euh, pendant toute l'automne. Donc, quatre mois de répétition où on faisait exactement la même chose à Québec et à Montréal. Et euh, début février, on s'est présenté le travail. Euh, moi, je connaissais très peu des comédiens de Québec. Je les avais juste croisés, mais euh, je connaissais pas du tout leur travail. Euh, Puis c'est aussi, c'est ça, là, t'es quatre individus à Montréal et t'en as six à Québec. Et là, d'un coup, faut que tu présentes le travail aux autres. Et c'est un peu le même travail que t'as fait. Donc, c'est quelque chose de très angoissant. Mais Olivier nous amène à avec l'univers dans lequel on est embarqué, avec une gestuelle très spéciale, à pouvoir mettre ces deux univers-là ensemble. Et c'est là qu'on se rend compte qu'il y avait vraiment une richesse qu'on est allé chercher euh, en permettant à des individus euh, de se rencontrer sans qu'ils se connaissent à la base. Avec un sujet qui est quand même qui touche un peu tout le monde. En ouais. plus, des artistes qui, qui ont un peu ce mode survie de se faire, faire ouais. voir. De... Se faire voir, se faire aimer. Mm. Donc, c'est sûr que ça nous touchait euh, au plus profond de nous-mêmes. Donc, euh, c'était pas... Euh, c'était un gros défi en tant que tel, mais le défi est beaucoup plus là pour euh, rendre la gestuelle, euh, pour vivre l'état. Mais le sujet nous est tellement propre qu'on qu a l'impression d'être dans nos souliers. Donc, on est bien. Puis le Théâtre Cata, c'est quand même une compagnie qui a une belle réputation avec le, le Festival Fringe. Mm -hmm. euh, donc, on a vraiment hâte de voir euh, ce, que, ce que vous allez présenter cette année. Le monstre, c'est quoi cette obsession-là avec la beauté? C'était quoi comme, euh, comme choix de titre au juste? Il faut voir la pièce pour la comprendre. Okay. Je peux pas... Euh... Je peux pas l'expliquer parce qu'il qu vient dans son ensemble, mais oui, c'est directement avec notre obsession à la beauté, euh, notre besoin de performance, mais faut voir la pièce. Pour des acteurs, je suppose que c'est encore plus euh, près du cœur, ouais. un sujet comme ça. Ça vient nous chercher. Ça vient nous chercher, ça nous remet beaucoup en question. Parce que quand on a parti les improvisations, il y a eu beaucoup de questionnements des gens de notre milieu, parce que c'est eux qu'on fréquente. Euh, c'est assez choquant des fois d'entendre les réponses des gens euh, juste à cette question-là euh, m'aurais-tu parlé si j'étais trisomique euh, qu'est-ce que tu ferais si, si ta blonde demain matin euh, elle serait plus la même personne parce que physiquement elle avait un accident, est-ce que ça serait encore la femme de ta vie, C'est des fois c'est des questions qu'on oublie de se poser puis qui arrivent dans la vie courante de beaucoup de gens euh, puis nous ben c'est sûr que c'est notre physique qui est mis devant, c'est toujours notre face qu'on voit ça nous revenait à nous poser des questions, même à nous-mêmes. Puis ça, c'est un travail qui est introspectif, qui est assez agréable à faire. Pour revenir au mouvement, c'est sûr, Dirty Feet, on a un podcast sur la danse, ouais. mouvement. Euh, Est-ce que vous aviez un chorégraphe, un répétiteur de mouvement, quelqu'un, un œil externe qui allait vraiment 
peaufiner l'aspect mouvement ou est-ce que vous y êtes vraiment venu en tant qu'acteur avec votre expérience de mouvement et aucune source externe? Ben dans le fond, euh, Olivier Artaud, le metteur en scène, lui, a fait un an au bac euh, en danse l'an passé. Fait qu'il y a quand même une connaissance euh, du corps qui est assez approfondie. Et on a fait aussi affaire avec euh, Sarah Mascolo, qui est aussi en, au bac en danse. Euh, donc, ils sont venus nous aider euh, dans la répétition. Mais comme je te disais tout à l'heure, c'est vraiment pas pour nous dire comment faire le mouvement, mais euh, peut-être plus dans mon corps, d'aller euh, chercher... Une clarté. Une, ouais, puis des sensations, des fois, moi, qui me sont vraiment pas claires parce que je vais trop réfléchir à mes sensations, puis là, d'essayer de vraiment les sentir par le corps. Euh, donc, c'est là qu'ils ont été, à nos yeux, comme très, très importants dans le travail. Donc, les impulsions naturelles de, du mouvement. Donc, c'est un mouvement quand même authentique, si on peut dire. Oui, c'est un mouvement authentique. Euh, puis des fois, en répétition, on se rendait compte que ça pouvait être euh, maladroit par les, les comédiens, ce qu'ils pouvaient avoir, mais d'un œil extérieur, euh, Sarah nous répétait souvent que c'était magnifique parce que c'était tellement impulsif, c'était tellement avec notre instinct d'acteurs, mais pas tant d'acteurs que d'êtres humains d'avoir le besoin de parler. Euh, on n'est pas comme des, des danseurs qui ont envie de faire un, un beau mouvement. On ne sait pas, on, on les connaît pas nos bases en ballet, on les connaît pas nos, nos bases de danse. Donc pour nous, ça sort comme ça sort, puis c'est là que ça devient intéressant. C est, c est, puis oui, c'est intéressant parce que de plus en plus, il y a des chorégraphes qui s'intéressent même plus à travailler avec des danseurs mm -hmm. et aiment mieux justement travailler avec des non-danseurs pour cette impulsion-là naturelle qui, euh, qui, qui est vraie. Oui. Donc, euh, ouais. Donc, juste pour rappeler, on parle avec Lucie Constantino qui fait partie du, de la pièce Le Monstre euh, qui va être au Théâtre La Chapelle du 12 au 22 juin. Euh, pendant le festival Saint-Ambroise Fringe de Montréal, bien sûr. C'est une pièce qui est mise en scène par Olivier Artaud-Gauthier. Et si vous avez des questions, vous pouvez aller voir sur le site du Fringe ou donc sur le, le site théâtrecata.com. Donc, Lucie, merci beaucoup d'être venue en, Mais merci en, en à vous. avec nous aujourd'hui.
So next we're going to be speaking with Scott Waters from the show Deux à Cuir, or uh, Tough Guy. This is a Flying Monkey production, and uh, I would love to just start right there with uh, where did Flying Monkey come from? I imagine like most fringe companies, it came out of your brain. So so tell us, where did uh, Flying Monkey come from? Um, well, I've always kind of had the rap of being uh, ape-like or monkey-like when doing circus or uh, when I used to break dance. And, uh, and now that I do uh, an aerial discipline as uh, my major, it's kind of like a big monkey in the air, so it kind of works, I figure. Almost like Tarzan, but a more, like, gorilla-y, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever thump your chest during the shows? Um, I, tr- I actually try to avoid doing that. <laughs> Copyright lawsuits? Um, or? No. <laughs> a bit. Um, it's, it's kind of easy out. Cop out, like. <laughs> so it's pretty exciting for the fringe to to have a show that involves such kind of a, a, an elaborate uh, setup because you're you're working with ropes and stuff on stage, yes. Um, just just one rope, um, and so yeah, I know. Like last year, they had uh, the the radiant, the radiant was it with Crin? Yeah, yeah, and like you know, they had the silk and the sear wheel. Uh, my show is actually more simple. It's just a, a rope. Uh, there's a bit of like uh, living room furniture that I'm kind of interacting with, and uh, and me kind of just flopping around everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's 40 minutes of you flopping around everywhere. Um, yeah, a little bit, yeah, <laughs> and climbing a rope and fighting with the rope and 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 you were, you were saying just before that you have you have several different kind of things that you do in in the circus realm. You do uh, hand balancing and, uh, and I, what else? Yeah, I do a bit of hand balancing. Uh, I used to do hand to hand, but. Being a solo show, I part, I'm partnerless. Uh, I'm doing aerial rope. I'm actually doing a bit of a rope manipulation, which we don't see much of. Um, but uh, I'm going to try to bring that to stage. And, uh, of course, dance, and I'm going to be clowning a little bit. And so to kind of bring lightness to the show. Cool. Yeah. Something else we, we just had the opportunity to speak about off-air is, is uh, that you're, you're currently studying at the uh, Quebec Circus School. Yeah. And uh, so is this production like a, um, a showcase for you of kind of what you've learned in circus? Um, yeah. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> um, yeah, being a solo show, uh, especially 40 minutes, I kind of have to, I guess, show off what I can do. Because I'm not going to do a 40-minute a aerial act. I mean, I could try, but I would be dead every night. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so just uh, it's a mixture of things. Uh, I've learned in the context of the story I want to tell. Is this your first full-length so- solo show? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and, and have you had an outside eye, or have you created it 100% on your own? What was your, um, I guess, the journey to, to having this final product? Um, well, I, I've had a couple eye, outside eyes recently, because it's... Getting it, so close. It's really close. It's, it's here. Like, <laughs> it's here. <laughs> um, but the journey for myself was mostly... Um, Realizing how much work it is to do a solo show, um, just like all the little details, because uh, usually when doing bigger productions, I have like a team and and people can see things that maybe you don't see. But when you're by yourself, it's like costume decor, uh, even uh, in terms of story. Uh, being a solo show, I don't have the like a director that I can just put all my faith in. I have to 
be that guy too. And so, uh, so wearing wearing a, a few hats. Yeah. But <laughs> so um, taking care of promo and all yeah. of that. And uh, well, promo I, I have uh, actually quite a bit of experience in, but for myself, it's it's just uh, it's easy to like uh, not see the little things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been good, and I've been getting some help. And uh, but yeah, it's my first solo show, and it's it's exciting and stressful and all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and with the title uh, "Tough Guy Drag Career," why exactly? was this this topic chosen why exactly did you want to talk about the, this aspect of manliness or masculinity um well it i had started putting together the show last year and i had always been interested in um like we see often in the media or we hear uh, terms like be a man or grow a pair and i always kind of felt these were terms that could be maybe damaging to somebody um even though it's so like ingrained in society like as like positive things like we always like the feminist movement has been around forever and it's very recognizable but for men it's it, it could be uh harmful um like you see in football uh how they treat each other and then like it sometimes ends with suicides or things like that and i thought it was something that not a lot of people were talking about because it seemed like a positive thing but i think it also has like a negative flip side um And so it was a theme that I was kind of circling around. and uh, But I had always kind of grown up in a kind of a loving environment where I didn't have that. But then I felt um, subject to it as well when uh, doing circus. I actually uh, got a concussion. And, uh, well, I mean, we all get concussions all the time in circus. It's like it's in every day. <laughs> it's normal. <laughs> it's, it's normal. But um, I had a concussion, and I had found myself constantly... Um, telling myself that there's no way I could have a concussion. A guy, because I'm kind of a big guy, um, and I was like, no way, that's a concussion. You know, they're like, I, I'm way too built to have a concussion. And then when I had this dialogue with myself, I kind of felt that was like a bit of my theme was going on, that I was kind of so told that, you know, like be a man and things like that. Like, it's a weak thing. Walk it off. and Walk it off. And then you see like in football, like, Uh, there's a guy who had a concussion and he like walked it off and then he had another concussion and he like died, you know, because he wasn't um, accepting that a man can be vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, and so and so that's kind of where my themes and are. And is there also elements of uh, emotional vulnerability that's part of it in as relating to personal life maybe? Um, yeah, I would say there, there are definitely uh, uh, links to my personal life which are, I'm definitely using to tap into like the to be real on stage, you know, instead of talking about something. I don't know, like, there's a concussion and there's, like, maybe other more personal things in my life where I feel like, oh, you know, I've actually had to deal with my own vulnerability here. And, um, yeah, so there's a bit of that in this show, I guess. So I think this this show overall isn't only a showcase to, to show what you've learned over the last few years in circus school, mm-hmm. but also a... a a chance to release and kind of let yeah. all of that go at the same time. I, I, yeah. And I think that's definitely going to help make the show more, uh, uh, relatable because I feel often sometimes in circus shows, shows are very, uh, tadam rather than something we can, um, relate or connect with. You know, we see these amazing superheroes on stage and we are so in awe of them, but, uh, I think they're even more impressive when we can maybe feel what's happening. So, Talking with a few Montreal-based artists uh, in circus, a lot of them have have been 
talking about this, talking about how circus needs or is starting to move away from this grandiose and like, uh, you know, everything must be exciting in circus and trying to, to bring questions about the body, bring questions about relationships through circus arts. Do you feel that this is something that in your career, other than this show, you're aiming more towards? Um, yeah, I, I would say yes to that. Um, just like many dance and theater shows um, have moved away from the, the grandiose uh, spectacle, you know, to to reach out more to the, the viewer. And I think maybe because circus is a, a younger uh, form of stage art, um, it's not as matured as maybe like dance and theater who are able to reach that out of people. And But there's definitely a shift happening now because Cirque du Soleil is not the only company out there anymore. <laughs> Cirque du what? Yeah. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so uh, we were talking to Scott Waters, who's presenting Dur à Cuire, Tough Guy, uh, with his company Flying Monkey Productions. The show will be starting on Saturday, June 14th at 7 p.m. at the La Chapelle Theatre, close to Montreal Improv. Um, general admission is $10. And uh, Scott, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Bon, maintenant, avec nous, on a des représentants du théâtre Le Moulin, euh, Marion Van Bogart Nolasco et Myriam de Bonville, qui viennent nous présenter leur, euh, leur pièce Morpillon. Ce n'était pas un soulier de verre. <rire> Donc, euh, c'est une pièce qui fait dans le théâtre musical, en fait, dans le musical theater, euh, en français. C'est important de le mentionner. Euh, et c'est quelque chose qui a été euh, mis en scène par Jean Belzile Gascon, écrit par Alexandre Larouche, et que, avec le directeur musical Jonathan Bédard, ça va être présenté au studio Jean Valcourt, donc qui est au Conservatoire d'art dramatique. Euh, donc, les filles, bonjour. Bonjour. Ça va bien? Oui, oui merci. Donc, parlez-nous de Morpion. Je vais essayer de ne pas euh, me mettre à rire à chaque fois. <rire> euh, parlez-nous des Morpions. On va C'est... vous parler des Morpions, oui. <rire> ben, en fait, euh, ça fait un an environ qu'on travaille sur ce projet-là. C'est Alexandre Larouche qui avait écrit une série de contes euh, pour adultes à partir de contes qui étaient déjà existants. Donc, Cendrillon, Le Petit Pousset, euh, je ne me souviens plus les autres, mais en tout cas, plus on Pardon? Podane. Podane. Non, non, on n'avait pas fait de podane. Barbe bleue. Que... Non. Barbe bleue. Oui. On en parle en un clin d'œil dans le spectacle, <rire> mais vraiment un clin d'œil. <rire> Puis là, on s'est dit, euh, on préfère un. On avait envie de travailler ensemble. On s'est dit, on va faire un show. On a décidé de prendre un seul des contes, puis l'étoffer. Donc, prendre la trame narrative de Cendrillon, euh, puis en faire un conte grivois pour adultes. On aime vraiment beaucoup chanter, on aime vraiment beaucoup danser. On s'est dit, on se paye un trip. On va faire ça en comédie musicale. Donc, ça, c'est comme le départ de notre 
de notre show, comment ça s'est construit. Alexandre est parti, il a écrit le spectacle. C'est un court spectacle de 45 minutes avec sept chansons. Il y a oh. du stock là dedans, c'est c'est cossu là. En 45 minutes, euh, il y a pas de trou mort là, pas du tout parce que c'est vraiment euh, cette chanson euh, avec beaucoup de texte quand même parce que c'est sûr qu'on est des acteurs, ben, on a fait bien du texte aussi. Alors c'est euh, c'est c'est ça, c'est bien rempli puis euh, c'est très très drôle, très absurde aussi parce que bon, euh, le titre c'est Morpillon. Donc euh, on s'entend tout de suite qu'il y a beaucoup de trucs euh, très grivois, très coquins, très euh, il y a beaucoup de jeux de mots aussi là. Alexandre a beaucoup euh, c'est beaucoup basé sur une écriture de jeux de mots, de de, de mots d'esprit puis des choses comme ça. Donc tout au long, c'est le fun de de suivre euh, toute cette c'est ça, c'est je sais pas comment dire, là, ces mots-là... Euh... De se laisser surprendre par ouais. les jeux de mots, en fait, que, que l'auteur a. Tu dis, ah, qu'est-ce qu'il va faire? Ça va être quoi le prochain? Puis c'est toujours drôle au final. En tout cas, Donc, c'est une pièce « Faisant plus ». Oui. C'est important oui. de mentionner pour les gens qui nous écoutent. Euh, basé purement sur les thèmes, sur le texte? En fait, c'est basé vraiment sur la trame narrative du film « Cendrillon » de Walt Non, je veux dire au niveau de l'âge, la limite d'âge, ah. c'est basé sur le fait, sur le texte. C'est pas nudité en tant que tel. Il euh, y a un petit peu de nudité, mais presque pas en fait. C'est okay. un, un flash, on, on peut bien vous le dire, on voit des faufounes, mais c'est okay. tout. <rire> Et au niveau du, euh, de l'approche de ces contes-là, justement, comment est-ce que vous êtes allé imbriquer ça dans... Dans le narratif, est-ce que vous avez fait un peu un mishmash, un pêle-mêle de, de ces contes-là? Vous avez créé une nouvelle trame basée sur différents éléments de ces contes-là? En fait, euh, on a dans le spectacle un narrateur, donc euh, qui fait qui narre l'histoire et tout au long de cette narration-là, on a les personnages qui viennent euh, faire des bouts donc du film parce qu'on s'est basé donc comme on a dit sur le film de Walt Disney. Fait que c'est vraiment le narrateur qui qui compte des choses puis là oups il veut passer à une autre action, le narrateur revient et reprend euh, ce qu'il a envie de de nous montrer au spectateur finalement. Donc c'est vraiment euh, en plus avec le chant ça ça fait vraiment une multitude de formes de théâtre vraiment avec des dialogues avec euh, des monologues aussi, ça arrive. Donc, euh, voilà. Et au niveau de l'aspect musical, euh, le type de chanson que vous faites, c'est ça rentre dans quel contexte un peu? Est-ce est que c'est vraiment un type musical avec tout le monde qui chante ensemble, ensuite quelqu'un qui part en solo? Est-ce que c'est plus musique populaire? Ça a été créé comment, l'aspect musical? <rire> ça, c'est très drôle. Euh, en fait, c'est des chansons qui existent déjà, qu'on a pris. Puis Alexandre a fait des parodies des chansons, donc toujours en suivant le, le thème de Morpillon, de Cendrillon. Et, euh, et puis, il y a certaines chansons que c'est des solos. Il y a d'autres chansons qu'on chante tout le monde ensemble. Donc, c'est vraiment, il n'y a pas... Euh, on a quand même choisi les chansons en fonction que ça fasse quand même très une bonne unicité, mais c'est vraiment des chansons euh, populaires qu'on a tous entendues. Là. Comme par exemple, on a pris euh, une des chansons de, de, euh, du Moulin Rouge, euh, donc c'est le tango le tango de Roxane, on a repris ça puis on l'a repris à, à notre à nos voix puis là on est trois à le chanter, mais c'est comme des, des solos, fait que ça dépend c'est vraiment, il euh, y a un peu de tout là donc reprise en français, vous avez également fait une traduction des textes originaux exactement, ben, en fait c'est pas tant une traduction que euh, on a vraiment parodié, on a changé les mots euh, c'est complètement différent, dans le fond tout ce qui est, la seule chose qui, qui est la même c'est la, la musique 
Et pour le mouvement, donc on parle de, de, du tango, il y a beaucoup de mouvements qui, pour moi, le, le tango dans, dans Chicago, c'est quand même quelque chose de, qui, qui punch. Ouais. Um, donc, pour le triple, la création de, de mouvements, c'est tout le monde ensemble qui, qui a fait la création. Vous avez fait comment pour, pour rechercher ce gestuel-là? Ben, en fait, le metteur en scène euh, nous est arrivé avec des propositions. Puis, euh, lui, il avait tout préparé, ses chorégraphies, euh, il a fait son travail. <rire> puis, euh, il est arrivé en répétition, on essayait ça. Puis, par rapport à comment on bougeait, ça s'est modifié quelque peu, bien évidemment, parce que faut le mentionner qu'on n'est pas des danseurs. Donc, euh, des fois, des fois ça fonctionne, des fois, ça fonctionne pas. <rire> mais des fois, quand ça fonctionne pas, c'est plus intéressant que ce que lui s'était imaginé dans sa tête. Donc, euh, c'est vraiment à partir du metteur en scène, c'était lui le leader. Puis, nous... On apportait plus, mais c'est vraiment une personne qui avait le dernier mot, c'est-à-dire Jean. Mm. Ouais. Puis le défi de chanter et de bouger en même <rire> temps, vous l'avez pris comment? <rire> ben, en fait, on, on, on finit nos, nos numéros puis on est vraiment essoufflés. Là. Mais je pense <rire> qu'on a commencé les répétitions très tôt. On a commencé les répétitions en janvier et on a commencé à chanter et faire les chorégraphies tout de suite. Donc, on a pris le plus gros des défis, finalement, qui était de chanter et de danser en même temps. On l'a cassé tout de suite, on l'a répété le plus possible, ce qui fait que maintenant, on est rendu vraiment... Euh, on est encore essoufflé à la fin du numéro, mais euh, c'est rendu plus plus imbriqué en nous. Là, on est capable de, de, de tout faire ça, puis de reprendre le spectacle, puis euh, de le continuer sans problème. Et vous allez être combien euh, sur scène en tout? Cinq. Ouais. Cinq à interpréter environ une douzaine de personnages. Oh wow. Ouais. Ouais. ouais euh, c'est un show de changement de costume et de surprise. Euh, c'est un marathon. Là. Ah, oui. On n'arrête jamais. <rire> Puis en 45 minutes, vous avez le temps de faire combien de chansons, donc? Sept. Donc, sept chansons, oui. Ça commence avec une chanson, puis ça finit avec une chanson. Puis à l'intérieur, il y a des chansons. <rire> puis avez-vous eu la piqûre de, du théâtre musical? Est-ce que vous avez, après, après votre présentation pour le Festival Fringe, avez-vous en, envie de continuer dans cette direction-là? C'est sûr que oui. Ouais. Ah oui, définitivement. <rire> on en avait déjà fait, en fait, à l'école de théâtre, puis on aimait ça là, euh, individuellement, là, puis on s'est dit, il ah, faut qu'on continue à le faire, puis... En répétition, en ce moment, on a trop de plaisir ensemble, puis euh, je pense que c'est une aventure qu'on a envie de continuer, puis euh, voilà, de poursuivre. Et est-ce que c'est votre première fois présente au Fringe? Oui. Pour Marion, oui. Pour moi, euh, j'ai fait un spectacle l'an dernier euh, avec une grosse gagne, un show d'impro au Fringe. Ouais. Et pour le théâtre Le Moulin, est-ce que c'est la première fois qu'il performe au Fringe? Aussi, oui. En fait, c'est notre première production. Donc, euh, on a bien hâte de montrer ça, puis euh, voilà. <rire> Donc, euh, on va écouter un extrait musical qui est utilisé dans la pièce. Est-ce que tu pourrais nous l'introduire? Oui, en fait, c'est euh, un enregistrement, donc, de ce qu'on va faire dans le spectacle. Donc, c'est un petit avant-goût. C'est euh, lorsque Morpillon euh, est au bal, au, euh, au bal orgiaque, disons-le, et qu'elle rencontre son beau prince Érixion. Et donc, c'est la, la chanson euh, « Le duo euh, amoureux ». Donc, on vient de parler avec Marion Van Bogart, Nolasco et Myriam de Bonville, qui présentent Morpillon, ce n'était pas un soulier de verre, par Théâtre Le Moulin. Ça va être aussi au Jean Valcourt du 14 au 22. Donc, euh, merci beaucoup les filles d'être venues avec nous aujourd'hui. Merci à merci. vous. Merci. Minuit a sonné. Comme la lune est belle ce soir. Je dois maintenant quitter. Vous n'avez rien pris à boire. C'est contre mon gré. Je serai restée. Et même que vous. 
restiez coussé. La bien après. Fais bien, tu fais tout ce qu'on dit. Amis, il n'y a plus de magie. Peut-être avec moi aussi. À cet instant, il me faut montrer mon flippant. Mais vous avez su me séduire. Vous avez su me faire du. Je ne dois pas traîner. Allez-vous me résister. Deuxième coup de sonner. Vous êtes en ta donnée. Tout ce flafla. Cher ami, Espérez, oui, oui, mon mais je sens que mon cœur est détruit. Troisième coup de sonnerie, comme j'ai envie d'amour. J'ai dit que je partais. Vous le dites sans arrêt. Quatrième coup de fouet, un éclair dans la forêt. Ce fut tout un Une bal, envie un peu oui, sans, sans aucune substance illégale. La belle mère sera suspicieuse. Capote fera des remarques aux dieux. Well, maybe just a cigarette more. 5, 6, 7, 8 coups Comme vous êtes chou J'aurais tant le goût Mais vous êtes fou Le douzième coup se rapproche Mais le temps presse, je suis dans un roche À quelle belle soirée All right, now with us is Clay Nikiforak, who's part of the uh, company Ball of Clay, presenting the Dysmorphia Diet. It's a multidisciplinary show that will be uh, involving storytelling, satire, dance, and a bunch of different things. So, uh, hi, Clay. How are you doing today? Hi, doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, what can you tell us about your show? First of all, it's a one-woman show yep. that you're performing in and uh, that you've written. And it's being directed by Mathieu Murphy-Perron. Uh, yeah, he's my assistant director. Okay. And what can you tell us about the show? Because, I mean, especially with a title like uh, Dysmorphia Diet, there's a lot, a lot there um, that's already thrown at the public. Yeah. So how did this show come about exactly? Uh, the show came about um, with a bunch of different conversations that I had had with people in my life, uh, kind of all centered around perceptions of, of bodies um, and also secretiveness, secretiveness about people's kind of like secret eating rituals and secret feelings and thoughts about their bodies, um, which uh, kind of get hidden in this kind of projection of confidence or it's not really discussed very often in, in everyday conversation. But kind of once you start to get into it, just about everybody seems to have something that they hate about their body or something very like unusual that they avoid about food or that they don't like about food uh so it kind of started there <laughs> and uh how do you bring this pretty heavy subject 
into something that can be satirical, that can be funny, and that can be also movement based all at the same time. What was the creative process like for like for that show? Um, at first, I kind of wanted to make fun of, I guess, people's neuroses. Because um, what it is, is neuroses, and we, we tend to be chock full of them. Um, and so, no, no, not me. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of wanted to, to really, really amplify um, neuroses to a point of, of kind of comedy. Um, but the thing is, is that it's, it's taken from all things that are true, real things that people have said to me, things that you find on the internet constantly. Um, Honestly, my work was cut out for me because it's all so readily available and all I had to do is like amplify it slightly to the point of absurdity, but it was kind of already there. <laughs> it would seem an appropriate topic too to, to start delving into, into work where you're using your body uh, in, in movement to kind of uh, describe the, your, your feelings about it. I, I'm wondering um, kind of what came first, your impulse to, to add movement to the work or did it come about because uh, of the dis? about bodies I kind of imagined it um, when I was first imagining the play I really imagined a character that started being kind of physically thrown around um, by um, by how difficult these subjects are and how torturous they can be when hidden and kept in secret um, and how visceral um, a hatred of oneself or one's body can be and so I kind of immediately imagined it um, being shown in in the storyteller's body of being thrown around from like one bad idea to the next, from like one kind of mood swing to the next. Um, so it was very much uh, from the from the first kind of uh, first ideas of the play was that that I wanted to show somebody kind of being ragdolled a bit a bit around. And for creating movement, is there a different process for you than for creating uh, text or, or rehearsing dialogue? I don't know. They actually seem to come at the same time. I've, I've never done something like this before where I've had both uh, dialogue and movement. And um, they seem to come at the same time. Um, as I was writing, um, I can't be like, okay, well, that's where this is going to happen. And so kind of uh, choreographing as typing is kind of an interesting process. Um, but you never really know until you're trying it out. Like, oh, okay, that thing that I was typing and thinking of, that doesn't actually work. So I have to kind of like go over it again, um, actually move through it and, and make it work. But... Yeah. And for the movement, uh, was it something, did you decide to bring in very choreographed movement or more state-based or how exactly are you bringing this, this movement element into that, that narrative? Is it something that you decided, okay, I'm going to have sequences, I'm going to have you know, counts and everything? Or is it more like, okay, at this moment, the, the state of the body, the state of that I'm going into will lead me into these mm -hmm. improvisations? How exactly are you bringing in this creation of movement? Mm, I'm actually trying to contrast. Um, certain movements will be kind of repeated in a tick-like manner <laughs> throughout the play. And then other things I want very much to be um, a little bit improvised. I know it's going to be different every show, and I'm going to kind of let things move me around. Yeah. I notice here you have, uh, you have a discount for mothers to come yeah. see your show. <laughs> Where does that come from? Uh, mothers are my favorite people. <laughs> 
they should get a discount. <laughs> They've suffered enough. They suffered enough. They've done enough. They should get in uh, cheaper. And my my mommy is flying into into Montreal, and she's going to be there as well. <laughs> so you just wanted your mom to get a discount. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, I think it's kind of something important for for mothers to see. Um, it, the play might be maybe not entirely appropriate for like children younger than fourteen to see, but. It'd be definitely cool for some mamas to be in there. Has there been anything um, therapeutic about creating this work for you? Anything you've worked through while while kind of discussing all this dysmorphia and and, and whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the first couple of months, I thought I I might not be able to do this play. I'm going to have to drop out because it was making me so crazy. Um, just thinking about basically eating disorders all day, every day was starting to drive me absolutely insane. And I noticed myself getting like, if I wasn't weird about food before, I was getting weirder. Um, and then something kind of broke through where I guess I guess kind of it all came together. I finished writing the play. I could kind of see it and step back and look at it all, and it did give me a better perspective. It, it, it really solidified something for me, I think, to kind of have to force myself to deal with these things again and again every day. Um, that I've, I've actually noticed a difference in myself, that it has been therapeutic. It's been a bit of a release. Yeah. We've been speaking with uh, Clay Nikiforic about The Dysmorphia Diet by Ball of Clay. Um, this is going to be presented, of course, at the Montreal Fringe. It's at uh, Scene Mini, which is uh, like right behind the beer tent there. It's 4247 St. Dominic. It's general admission $10, and then students, artists, and mothers all get a discount of just $6. So come check out this multidisciplinary production. Thanks for joining us, Clay. Thanks so much. So next we have another pair of guests on the show. We have Daphne Lorian and Rosa Ruby Kagan, and they're here to speak about the show Idealize Me. And now you got to imagine this. It's ideal-eyes-me, and it's by Elemental Spirit Productions. Now, there, it, even though we have two in studio, it's actually a one-woman show that Rosa Ruby will be directing and Daphne will be performing. And in Daphne, you also wrote this show and you did the video work for this show. So intriguing. Uh, let's start with what is the thematic of Idealize Me? So Idealize Me is... Uh, really looking into my own quest of personal discovery through sexuality and relationships. Uh, so it, it takes a journey through different experiences that I've had in my life and brings them to the stage to discover uh, the challenges and the moments of insight and uh, hopefully some moments of humor and transcendence within mm -hmm. all of that as well. <laughs> And creatively, have you started with a, a theater base? My base is in theater. Um, I've been doing theater pretty much my whole life since age 11. Um, but I've done a lot of dance through my whole journey. So bringing movement into my work has also been something that I've been exploring. And over the last 10 years or so, starting to work with video um, and different types of media to create a more integrative type of performance. 
Cool. Do you have experience with the, the Fringe in the past? Well, I've certainly been a uh, great fan of the Fringe. I come to see a lot of shows, but this is actually the first show that I'm going to be showing at the Fringe myself. So it's very exciting. Very cool. And then Rosa Ruby, we mm-hmm. just discussed recently that you that you presented um, Buddha. Yeah, and the rock star. Yeah, 2011, I think that was. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I, I'm a physical theater actress as well, and so my trainees training is in physical theater. So whenever I and I, I like directing as well. I, I've done both. Um, I like the aesthetic of using the body because I think that that's what we are. <laughs> it's our bodies, and I like to make sure that, that that's very present within any show that I do, whether I'm performing or directing. And um, Daphne has a good feel for her body, so I like working with her. And so, of course, we've been speaking to a few circus artists and some burlesque artists today because it falls under that vein of like uh, of movement-related uh, performance. And, and it's easy to see kind of how if you're talking about sexuality, you're going to start using your body to, to portray what you're trying to say. Can you talk a bit about kind of the, the sources of movement in your work? Well, because um, I, I started working with this show in from Daphne in like November or something and um because it's a self-revelatory performance and I'm also a drama therapist so the way that I like to work is to help people get in touch with kind of um the the impulse of where maybe a a dilemma is that's what self-revelatory is is exploration of a dilemma that you can then transform for yourself um so in terms of the movement um when we first started just kind of wanted Daphne to just start moving because she has a natural ability to access her body to just go and move and kind of work through stuff that's kind of the process that I've guided Daphne through is working through different things and then I we worked through um, role-playing where she kind of interviewed different parts of herself um, and then we scripted that together for the script okay cool so it started with would you say it started with the movement and the text came later absolutely yeah I would say it's a bit of both, but yeah. certainly a lot of the work that we did was was developed on its feet. So it's very much about embodiment and, as you say, looking at this sort of inner landscape in a way and working outwards from that place um, as opposed to working out and, and, say, with the script that's already created and then working in. So then where along this line does the video be- start generating from? Uh, well, I, I really like working with visual imagery. I feel like the physicality and physical embodiment and visual imagery really do go hand in hand. Um, in this case, a lot of the visual imagery is uh, related to sort of memories or fragments of memories um, that actually bring in other people that I've had relationships with. So it's a way of bringing in um, other characters in a way into the show, uh, which would otherwise be a solo show. When you're talking about sourcing these, uh, this material from a very personal place, is it all, um, does it undergo a, a sort of polish to, to be stage ready? Or, okay, <laughs> I'm getting lots of nodding the heads. <laughs> I, I think the first... the first time we went through it was, it's just very visceral and raw. And I mean, that's, and that's the fine difference, I think, for me uh, between therapy and theater is just the, the distance that you create for yourself because you don't, it needs to be relatable to an audience. It's not just about you. So it's, as a director, it's just finding what is going to be relatable for an audience and um, not make Daphne too vulnerable either. 
I feel like it's like a, almost like a process of sculpting where you like heap a bunch of material into a big pile and then sort of like take away all of the stuff that's excess and, and slowly you start to see the form and the more that you take away sort of at the end actually you're, you're left with something that is more tangible and more accessible hopefully and uh, yeah is there anyone's work that you could point to that would be um kind of uh either an inspiration to this specific work or or a comparison to that you could kind of give us an idea of of what what it's going to look like well, I certainly have my inspirations, but, you know, uh, I mean, to say Robert Lepage, obviously that's a huge name that we can only aspire to. But, uh, I mean, it's funny working with multimedia, for example, with The Fringe, I'm realizing, you know, the, the constraints of, like, the three-hour tech run, for example, and, like, very, um, like, minimal amount of... of uh, time and resources to be able to kind of imagine these huge ideas but obviously it's a start you know we're working with a palette of these different types of media movement and um you know the the interactive theater and media um but from a movement perspective maybe you have well i have, have a, some. i have a distinct kind of aesthetic that i like to work with which involves kind of creating a physical action separate from the text and then you place the text over the the physical action um and that also includes prop work so creating kind of a physical um script for the piece which then is layered over with text um some of the te- some of them being more naturalistic some being more um I guess you would say abstract, not necessarily based in um, reality for the movement pieces. But um, so I think layered is what I would say. Layered with different work with props, transformational imagery, um, and movement. Yeah, layered with text and monologue. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm also coming from a background of having done a lot of. Um, work which is more like ritual based sacred dance ritual theater which of course has a different context from something that you might bring to the stage although you could bring that to the stage as well but I think it parallels like the work that Rosa Ruby is doing with drama therapy in that it can be very transformative so you begin in a certain place and you go through some sort of process of metamorphosis and come out in a different place which is obviously also the basis of all theater um, but it's nice to have that sort of in in the background, knowing that that we're going to go on a personal journey and and end up with more insight. Uh, and you have Daphne. I have. <laughs> it's been profound. I hope that you can all witness it with me. That's great. This is really interesting that we're talking about this. I just asked our last guest, Clay, uh, if if her uh, dysmorphia diet, if if that was a, a journey for her in a therapeutic way. So. That's uh, it's, it's good personal work happening at the fringe. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, 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 I saw that. <laughs> and it, it, does that mean that this has a future? Then it w- was this uh, for this fringe. Was that the goal all along, or is there a future in the, to, in the work? To me, fringe is just an incredible opportunity to uh, try out uh, new work. Really, um, from my experiences of going to see so many diverse fringe shows. Um, it's such a, a great opportunity to try stuff out and take risks. Um, and I feel like this is, this is the first stage of this project and it, it may go on and continue to be developed and refined and expanded and re-explored in different ways. 
Uh, and um, so this is just the start. Of course, it's really up to audiences to see how it's received. Aren't you also, bring it to conferences, Daphne. <laughs> yes, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Um, I'm also a teacher. Um, and a coach uh, in the realm of relationships. And uh, so part of the inspiration uh, in doing this or what came to me actually through the process of doing it is that it would be uh, an interesting opportunity to perhaps bring this into conferences or places where there can be more dialogue about it and and have it maybe in an academic context, uh, but obviously bringing in something that's more visceral and more connected to our emotions through theater. It's more experiential and hopefully will stir some discussion amongst people in terms of our personal relationships and challenges that we face and how we can transcend and go deeper and all of that. You've also provided us with a, with a track that we're going to play to give some atmosphere. So this is called Burning Bones. It's a track by Kristen Pixton, who uh, is an amazing vocalist and uh, composer. And uh, this is one of the pieces that we're doing a movement piece to, which um, relates to the integration of the whole experience. So uh, to me, it has a quality of, of healing and transcendence. Is this more of a climactic moment in the work, would you say? This is, this is the, the denouement. It's <laughs> very related to the climax. And, okay. Yeah. okay, fantastic. So we've been speaking with Daphne Lorian and uh, Rosa Ruby Kagan from Idealize Me. That's by Elemental Spirit Productions. And their show is going to be playing at Studio Multimedia. And that's in the uh, uh, Art Conservatory there on Henri Julienne. 4750. General admission is $8 and students get in for just 6. The show is 45 minutes long. And when's your first uh, opening night? Opening night is on this coming Saturday, June 14th at 5:30 p.m. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I want to get you in my skin, churning like the ocean. Only then can I wake myself begin. I want to fight for my own strength, cracking through the pavement, bones of harmony, and flesh learning to see. My skeleton of stone, my heart burning bone, my rapturous tone, my Can I? 
holding in my hand something that's very adorable. It looks like a metro ticket, but it's actually not a metro ticket. It's a little advertisement for the last metro, the musical, which is this huge production coming to the Montreal Fringe. It's by Broken Banjo. That's the company. And it, it features eight actors and two musicians. It's a, an original production written by Kelly and Laurie Walker and Holly Brace-Lavoie. Uh, and then we have, uh, it's directed also by Kelly Walker and choreographed by Anthony Schuler, who we have in studio, along with Sarah Elise Hicks. The two of them are also in the production, mm-hmm. dancing and singing and acting and doing the whole shebang, as I understand it. That's right. Thanks very much for being here today. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Cool. <laughs> Maybe just for a brief moment, we can talk about the history of Broken Banjo, because they actually produced a zombie Apocalypse, uh, how many years ago? Yeah, it was two years ago. Two years ago. Fringe two years ago, yeah. Cool. Also at uh, Cabaret de Mile End, where you're coming back with The Last Metro. Uh, Perhaps then, because Anthony, you were involved in that production too, can can you get us started on who Broken Banjo is? Well, it's pretty much Kelly, Lori, Holly, as well as Mark, which is kind of the head musician, I guess, responsible for most of the songwriting. It's all original songs. Um, they're all really close friends. The four of them just get together and jam is pretty much the impression that we're all getting. And uh, that's that's how it happens. They just write really good music, unassuming kind of musical music, not the type of genre that you would hear in a typical Broadway musical. It's mm-hmm. more subtle, low-key, very indie rock folk kind of musical. Most definitely, yeah. 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 Cool. Now, in the last Metro, I'm imagining this has something to do with staying out too late and having to catch the last Metro home. Is that uh, accurate? Essentially, it's the day in the life of just regular, everyday Metro takers. We're all just passersby, you know? That's uh, that's one of our lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to slip that in there, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's just taking a day in the life of these people. Um and just their everyday struggle on the metro. <laughs> yeah, the frustrations of getting stuck on the metro, getting uh, the ralentissement announcements on the metro. Like we're kind of just tackling the funny everyday situations that bother us yeah. uh, in the grand scheme of things. It seems pretty uh, unimportant, but in the moment, it could feel like you're in that metro cart for hours yeah. waiting for it to start. So Sometimes it feels like life or death. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a very Montreal-specific show? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Everything takes place on the orange line. <laughs> There's a lot of inside uh, STM jokes going on. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the the dance side of things. I mean, we're familiar with uh, musical theater, of course. You're going to have a, a chorus of performers uh, backing up the leads and, and that kind of thing. Is there 
anything uh, specific about the dance in your production? Um, well, originally we didn't think that there was going to be that much dancing, you know, but then we realized that there's metaphor in movement and Anthony came up with some fantastic choreography, um, which basically illustrates the mundane everyday life, you know, and, um, then we have some contemporary movement as well, um, which is juxtaposed with some beatnik slam poetry. Um, it's very, very interesting. Visually, audience members will be kind of taken aback, but I think it, it's going to be something worth seeing. Yeah, it's very subtle. It's not explicitly dancey. It's very movement piece based, trying to capture the themes of in the metro. Like we have this great opening number where we do pretty much uh, show, demonstrate the repetitive, redundant nature of passing by in the metro every day, the bustle, the hustle, people not communicating or interacting with each other. We really tried to highlight that through robotic movement, kind of zombie-esque movement, which is funny considering the last production. Yeah. I imagine, too, there's a great opportunity here to be using pedestrian movement. I mean, we talk about that all the time in contemporary dance, and then you're talking about the metro. We're talking about everyday people and everyday life. Uh, how are you harnessing the power of pedestrian movement? Well, hmm. <laughs> uh, we're using a very minimal set, which makes things very fun because we only have our bodies. Like, we have a few props and all that, but to accentuate you know the actual physical movement of the metro carts like that's our responsibility like we only have chairs on stage to really reflect being in a metro cart so everything's really up to us and we have moments where we highlight poses of everyday people you know checking the time reading a newspaper like it, the musical is very much accentuating the boringness of being in a big city but because it's kind of in this showy context it's like showcasing it in a nice way you know it's making it entertainment it's making something that's boring entertaining which is cool i think and i think also our use of pacing is it speaks to everyday life because this is what we do you know we're constantly walking back and forth to our destinations not really focusing on the world around us and we try to use that in our piece because that's basically the life of the metro you know you're just constantly moving back and forth and, you know, trying to get from A to Z kind of thing. So, And the way we block it as well, we have these great tableaus and there's this kind of uh, sense of strangers watching other strangers' lives. We have this great scene where I play the romantic lead with another actress, Amanda Cucci, and the entire population of the metro car is on one side of the metro just watching us and kind of throwing in all these comments so we'd comment on that the eavesdropping nature of kind of people being bored of their own lives and having to sort of snoop in on other people's lives to get that entertainment voyeurism is a huge theme yes in this play yeah yeah yeah. and on top of that you have the whole audience sitting there staring at you there you go yeah 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 is there anything that the, would, you, would you say that you learned from Zombie Apocalypse that is being carried over into Metro, the last Metro? Um, I guess working with Broken Banjo, because honestly, they're an amazing company to work with. It's just so much fun. And when I did 
the fringe two years ago. I mean, I'm pretty young as a as like an actor in Montreal. I'm still a theater student. So when I first worked with them, it was really neat to see that there were these people that were willing to let a production grow with the cast. So I walked into this production kind of with that same expectation and I wasn't disappointed at all. We put in so much of ourselves into the show and really brought the script and the songs to life. Um, last time around, there was a much smaller cast of actors, so there were less harmonies, less complex uh, compositions in the song and the movement as well. So for this one, it's way more effective, I think, audience-wise. It's much less subtle than the last production. Yeah, Sarah, you were saying earlier that you're all kind of directors a little bit. A little bit, yeah. We bring a lot of our own flavors to this play. Um coming into it because I've graduated from theater school and have done a few professional shows outside of school. It was kind of like the director tells you what to do, you do it, you know? Whereas this time around, it's having a director who's super open to just listening to your ideas and whatever she thinks is gold, she's like, keep that. If we want, if we're thinking of something and we're just like, can we just try something one time? Just, I just want to throw it in there. She's like, absolutely. Let's try it. And most of the time it sticks which is pretty, pretty interesting because it's kind of just like, wow, we're really getting to showcase our artistry, you know? So it's, it's a cool process. Yeah, we've done a lot of fun runs, which is basically doing kind of anything, like running through the play, putting in any sort of weird idea that you have. Like it's a great way to kind of not get bored of the production, which is a common thing that happens to any company, I think. So in a lot of the fun runs, actually, we've kept a lot of weird jokes and funny scenarios that we wouldn't have found had we not just explored and kind of gone over the top silly and just had so much fun that's what this production is i think yeah and anthony and i were actually talking about how in this process it's totally different from what we've been taught in school you know how to approach a play like we have to kind of throw that out the window and kind of change our science when it comes to putting on a play and what does it mean to be these characters because it kind of feels like we're all caricatures and more and like larger than life so putting that kind of energy into it makes everything heightened so that has added to our experience to the show yeah yeah and everything is ever changing it's almost like the character development in the play is minimal so it's like through the scenes that we need to just kind of entertain the audience. Like no scene is the same thematically. Like we have everything. Each song has its own flavor, has its own kind of movement. Like we approached the movement for each song in a completely different way. Uh, there's like a romantic love song where it's very Disney. There's slow dancing. There's the song at the beginning where it's very robotic. There's a song that Sarah sings that's very uh, kind of creepy, eerie, ghosty. So everything just kind of has this different sort of flavor. So it's our responsibility to not hold on to something that we feel our, our character like wouldn't do this. It's no, the, the play is the character. Like we have to change with the scenes. Fantastic. It sounds really cool. You guys don't have a, a music track we could listen to, do you? I do have something. What, uh, what is it that we're going to be listening to? Well, essentially it's um, my big number in the show, um, but we did a stripped down version of it acoustic style. Yeah. Very different from what it's going to be in the actual show, but still gives you the essence of what my character Alma is. So yeah, and it's just called Alma's Song. 
Well, uh, thank you both so much for coming in. We've been speaking with Anthony Schuler and Sarah Elise Hicks. They're uh, coming in to talk about The Last Metro, the musical by Broken Banjo. This will be playing at Cabaret du Mile End, which is all the way up at 5240 du Parc. Beautiful big space. Uh, it's general admission, $8. You have discounts for Atuvu, CP1, and QDF at $6. Uh, it's English language. It's 45 minutes. Uh, when's your first day? The 13th. Yes, at 7.45 p.m. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. The weather, the noise, these kids and their toys, and unfortunately the modern day terrain. I look and I see you're all staring at me like I'm the one up for debate. Move your legs, there's no space for your face. I'm not here to put you at ease. Live in my shoes, then ask me to move. Until then, this is my seat. this uh, edition, this fringe edition of Dirty Feet by uh, talking to somebody who's presenting a show that is definitely a dance show or with a question mark at the end, <laughs> uh, but is not part of the A to Z programming like we've been, uh, like we've been discussing uh, with the previous shows. This is going to be uh, So You Think That Was Dance and it's presented by Karen Fennell and it's, a, it's actually the fourth edition of this showcase. You had one that was part of the Bouge DC Festival in January. You had one in February and another in April mm-hmm. and here we are again with your uh, Montreal Fringe version of So You Think That Was Dance. Mm-hmm. So Karen, thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> and maybe we should back up to January and talk about uh, what your inspiration was to start this showcase. 
Well, my idea for this show was that for it to be kind of like an open mic for dance. So the kind of idea or the model of in the world of music or comedy where there's an open mic, so that's not really a curated show. It's the places are filled on a first come first serve basis. And it's meant to be the opportunity to show works in progress or excerpts of things that you're working on so that a bunch of artists get the chance to showcase their ideas in front of an audience and hopefully learn something about what they're working on. Um, I guess, yeah, my motives behind it um, are to increase the sort of visibility in the audience um, for contemporary dance and performance in Montreal and also to build community amongst artists and audience members um, and to stimulate discussion about ideas and just to provide another different kind of platform for people to to show work in front of an audience. And with the title, so you think that was dance, there seems to be a, a slant towards work that is kind of borderline dance that is or more contemporary, would you say? Well, it's really wide open. Um, a friend of mine, my friend Kelly, said that phrase um, at some point before Christmas, and I was just like, oh my God, that's such a hilarious phrase. It would be such a catchy title for a show. Um, so I kind of just took that title and ran with it. Um, so it is obviously, it's a play on the title of the TV show. So you think you can dance. Um, and which I think is a bit relevant because I feel like when you say you're a dancer to someone who's not really connected to the dance world at all, their first sort of reference is that show. And they say like, do you watch that show? What do you think about it? Um, so I think it's a thing that like, it's a title that catches people's attention that most people can relate to. Um, but, um, yeah, I guess the idea is really that it's very open, um, to anybody's interpretation of what is dance. So, uh, on any given show, you can pretty much bank on seeing a wide variety of things. Um, and as the person kind of, I mean, I'm the one who's officially booking and programming the show and I'm hosting it. Um, but my intention is to really to not curate it in any way above and beyond the fact that I'm just giving the spots to the first people to contact me. Um, so I'm not judging by on any artistic criteria in terms of how the show is filled. Um, and I don't really see the pieces until the night of the show, other than what people tell me about what they're doing. Sometimes I really have no idea what they're going to do. <laughs> so it's really fun for me as well. Um, but for instance, on this show, I know that we have someone doing a belly dance number. Um, we have someone potentially showing a video. Um, someone doing something which is probably more along the lines of performance art. Um, I'm doing something which is kind of a mix of dance and performance, I guess. Um, yeah, so I guess it's definitely, I would say it is a, it is gear, leaning towards contemporary work. But at the same time, if somebody, you know, wants to do a tap dance number or jazz number or belly dancing or anything like that, that's also welcome. Oh, there'll probably be also someone doing um, something along the lines of street dance, hip hop, something like that. Cool. This edition. Can you give us some names of the people who participated in the past? Yes. Um, so on each show, um, there's been between six and eight acts. Um, 
so let's see. Well, I, I've presented an excerpt of things I'm working on with my musical collaborator, Jackie Gallant. Um, other people who have done the show are Emily Roberts, um, Georges Nicolas Tremblay, Nathan Yaffe, Pascal Jensen, Maxine Segalowitz, Bailey Eng. Um, oh boy, I don't know. I should have a list in front of me because there's a lot of people. Um, well, even in the in the list that you've given us now, you can see that there's some names that are familiar to us that are more established. You can see some some more up and coming, just out of school mm-hmm. creators as well. Yeah, and really, my intention was to create something that um, wouldn't necessarily be just for emerging work or just for established work or just for experimental work, but would really be for anything. So, um, yeah, actually, I'm like, oh, now there's some more names in my head. Um, Gerard Reyes is another person. Um, Lucy May, Michael Watts. Um, one thing I have noticed is there's been quite a few people that work more as interpreters that dance for some of the bigger companies in Montreal. Like there's been a couple people who dance for Maurice Renard who've done something, um, or people that work as independent interpreters and are maybe like, so to me it's exciting in that sense that I feel like it's the chance for people who maybe aren't at the point where they're like trying to start their own company. They're working as independent artists, um, and are just looking for places to try out ideas and further develop their work. So I would say, um, and yeah, also, as you said, some people who are sort of just finishing school, um, it's been pretty diverse. And I would say, yeah, I guess if anything, it it definitely caters to independent artists. There's something interesting about this, the the uh, interpreter kind of going into the choreographic realm that I think happens a lot with uh, short and sweet and events like that, where they have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to to not throw something away, but uh, take the pressure off and, and present a work and get out of their, their usual day to day. Um, in, 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 in relationship to short and sweet. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a difference in the length of time. There's a difference in how it's curated. Mm-hmm. Um, but the energy is similar. You're, you're in a untraditional dance space. Uh, you're at mainline mm-hmm. theater most of the time. Can you talk a bit about, about where the differences and similarities are there? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, one thing which is, I guess there are a couple main differences between, I would say, between this event and um, events such as Short and Sweet, which Sasha Kleinplatz and Andrew Tay run. Um, One is the time. Um, I say that people can do anything up to 10 minutes. It really doesn't have to be 10 minutes. Um, I'm not running a timer. The main thing is I'm just trying to fit, you know, a decent number of acts on each show. So eight people doing 10 minutes makes like a dense hour and a half show. Um... But it's not, you know, I think part of the, the fun and the play of short and sweet is is really making something that can fit in three minutes, which is a really tight time constraint um, and knowing that they will turn the lights off on you. So that's kind of a, that's kind of an added kind of fun element to that show. Um, and that's not a focus of of this show. Um, and another thing is, I know for short and sweet, often they have a particular theme or they invite people to create something to show something they haven't shown elsewhere or something specific to that event. Not always, but sometimes. Um, And at the moment, I'm just really making mine very open. So if someone says they want to show 10 minutes of... and a 10-minute excerpt of an hour-long work that they've already shown, like, that's fine. Or if they want to show 10 minutes of, like, really rough work in progress, that's fine. 
um, or if they want to show 30 seconds of something, that's fine. Um, so at the moment, mine is really kind of carte blanche in terms of what people want to show. Um, but I do think they do share, you know, I think that I share similar um, ideas and goals with Sasha and Andrew in terms of wanting to um, create an event that um, is potentially potentially appealing to a broader audience and not just, you know, not just a niche contemporary dance audience, um, one that's accessible. So the tickets are reasonably priced. Um, you know, I think their event and, the, and mine as well is around $10. Um, and for that, you get to see the work of a bunch of different artists, um, which is, you know, in stark contrast to um, more polished dance productions that go on at say Place des Arts and you have to be able to afford a 30 or $40 ticket. Um, and yeah, also using alternative spaces um, that are not exclusively dance spaces. My show happens at Mainline Theater, which is traditionally more of a theater space. Um, what is great about Mainline, I find, is that it's very centrally located. It's right on St. Laurent Boulevard, just below Duluth. Um, and uh, and the, there's two spaces there. And my show has been, the first one was in the big space. The, the second and third show were in the smaller space. And now for the Fringe edition, we're going to be back in the, in the larger theater, which can accommodate a bigger audience. But the theaters there are actually really great. Um, I find them really... They're kind of cozy and intimate, um, and there's also a sort of a little informal bar set up. People can get drinks and bring them into the theater, which I find is a nice element. Um, so it's a lot looser than a formal theater setting. You know, you can come and go between pieces if you want. Um, yeah. And you're encouraged to stick around for a drink afterwards and talk about the works, which yeah. is nice. Not yeah. necessarily a formal talk back, but more of an encouraging that dialogue yeah exactly and i mean i know you're right that the title of the show is sort of it's asking a question um and i mean that is intentional as well i think it's fun to question to make people question what is dance um both artists and audience members um and i think it's i think it's important to stimulate thought and discussion about different ideas um, around the form and practices, but I'm also at the moment more interested in kind of informal opportunities for dialogue uh, versus saying, okay, there's going to be a like a talk back at the end of the show, like stay in the theater. Um, I think sometimes a lot of the more exciting discussions happen, you know, when you leave the theater and are just having a drink and chatting casually with people. So I hope to also. Um, provide that kind of environment too, where people might just casually chat amongst themselves and make new connections and that kind of thing. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, well, I'll just say, actually, maybe I'll just tell you the lineup of people on this show. Yeah. Um, so presenting work on this edition, we will have um, George Stamos, Aaron Flynn, Mr. Sister, Winnie Ho, Emily Roberts, Sue Snyder, myself, uh, Karen Fennell, <laughs> um, Kate Links-Austerland, uh, and Ellie and Daphne. So that's going to be nine short acts on this show, actually. But um, as I understand, quite a few of them are under 10 minutes. So hopefully this show should run an hour and a half. Um, and it is happening this Wednesday in two days, June 11th at 10 p.m., 
uh, at Mainline Theater, and the tickets are $10, which includes a $2 fringe fee, and you can buy them in advance online through the Fringe website, or you can buy them at the door, and it is... Um, a special after dark event as part of the fringe. So if you're looking for it on the fridge website, if you go into events and after dark, that's where you'll find it listed. So it's just a, an event that happens one time. So if you want to check it out, you only have one chance. And uh, the Bougie C edition, at least, was way sold out. So uh, get your tickets early. Indeed. Um, I, as I understand, tickets should go on sale at least a half an hour before the show. I think. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Tickets are on sale as of 9.30. But if you really want to guarantee a spot, um, you can also buy them in advance on the Fringe website. Great. Thanks for coming in, Karen. Thanks, Allison. So that wraps up part one of our 2014 St. Amboise Montreal Fringe coverage. Next week, we'll be speaking with uh, the dance companies presenting work at the festival. Uh, bear in mind that all the prices that we mentioned today are without the service fee. There's a $2 service fee added on each ticket price. This goes to pay for taxes and whatnot uh, for the participants because the full price of the ticket actually goes directly to the artist. Uh, that's one of the bonuses of being a part of the uh, the Montreal Fringe Festival. For more information on any of these shows or any others in the festival, you can go to montrealfringe.ca. You can search by genre, you can search by title, you can just uh, give it a look there, give it a browse. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening. Dirty Feet is recorded every week at the Montreal Improv Theatre. Check them out at montrealimprov.com. Dirty Feet est produit et animé par Produced and hosted by Alison Burns J.D. Papillon et Stéphanie Morin-Robert. You can find out more about our show at nomoreradio.com Follow us on Twitter at Dirty Dirty Feet and find us on Facebook at Dirty Feet Podcast. Vous pouvez écouter tous nos épisodes sur notre site web ou vous pouvez vous abonner également sur iTunes à notre podcast. Listen to past episodes on the website or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, be sure to give us a rating and or leave a comment to help us spread the word. Tune in next week for a whole new show.